All right, y'all, let's jump in. We are, uh, we are going through this. It's going to be a four-part series on rooted in gospel purpose. Rooted in gospel purpose. Y'all know the biggest thing that we're, we're trying to flesh out this year that the Lord has made very clear for us to go in is this concept of rooted. What does it mean to be resolved, to be rooted in the hope of the gospel? Because the gospel changes everything. So if there's areas that aren't changing uh, the way God is intending it, something in our rootedness and our root structure and our soul is not right. right. And so God is constantly uprooting so that he might root us properly. Amen? It's timely that we begin this uh, rooted in gospel purpose uh, because we're going to hit on some of that today in this passage. When we think about pursuing Christ's purpose for the good of all people, I think we need to start asking the question, like, what is God's purpose? And in the midst of a fallen world that we see stuff like this happen, what do we do? How do we work through it? How do we deal with it? And so what I want us to look at is we're going to look today at this, this question. I want to ask us a question for the, the title of this text. Uh, do you see enduring purpose? Do you see enduring purpose? Let's go ahead and stand and read God's word together. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 5 through 9. Hebrews 2, uh, 5 through 9. Let's count on to 1, 2, 3. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. But one has somewhere testified, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor, and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. Our spiritual tattoo that we want to look at today is a proper focus on Christ will produce an enduring life of purpose. Father, as we jump into your word, I pray that you would give me the grace to make your word plain. I pray that you would minister to us in areas where we need it. Minister to us in areas, Lord God, where we're hurting, we're struggling. Minister to us in areas where we're joyful and excited. Minister to us in a way where we celebrate both the volcano coming down in the Philippines from a four to a three and uh, people beginning to come home again, Lord God. That's common grace right there of you interacting and sustaining everything in creation and still in the midst of a world, a creation that is yearning for redemption that has been subjected to futility, not because it subjected itself, but because of the ones who subjected it in hope that it also will rejoice when you reveal the redemption of the children of God. And so, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that as we grieve, we can also look at glimpses of your common grace that allows life to be spared, Lord God. And so, Father, as believers, we navigate this reality as we dive into this text of the already and not fully yet kingdom of God, where we're rejoicing and we're grieving. It's one day we're rejoicing, the next minute we're grieving. And, and yet in the midst of it all, Lord God, you are with your people. And so, Lord, I just pray that you give me the grace to make this word very clear uh, pour into me the things that you would have very specifically um, for your church as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
We thank you. We bless you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, when I, oftentimes, when I set off to drive to a destination, I set my GPS, right? So you turn on your phone, set the GPS, and you are on a purpose. Your purpose is where? Where your destination is. I know where I'm going. I'm setting it out. This is the purpose where I'm going. Here's the thing. Sometimes as you're driving, y'all know those moments when you're like, okay, I know where I'm going, but I still have a long ways to get there. And you start getting a little bored, and you start wondering, is this, are we ever going to get there? The kids are in the background saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? How long? And time is still kind of relative, so you say the time, but it really hasn't fully registered yet. So you keep asking. And so you're, sometimes if you're like me, you're wondering, man, I'm getting kind of bored with driving in this direction. It's taking too long. And so then as I'm driving, I begin to get distracted. And I look to the side, and I start seeing buildings. I'm like, oh, I've never seen that restaurant before. Oh, where'd that organization just open up? OK, cool. And I'm looking, oh, look at that mural over there. Oh, that thing's not, oh, I've never seen that before. And before I know it, I'm over here looking, and Fatima's on the driver's seat. And as I'm looking to the left and marveling over here, because that's taking too long, and I don't know, I'm getting bored going on this direction. I, I noticed that I start to swerve to the right, to the other lane. And, and I think as, as I'm looking, I think I'm staying on purpose because I set the GPS, but it wasn't happening fast enough. I didn't know when, and I got bored, so I started drifting over here and looking at all these other cool things. But before I know it, I'm beginning to drift. And as I'm drifting, while I think I'm going on purpose, as I'm looking over distracted because that didn't happen fast enough, I'm actually swerving off of purpose. And the more I do that, I'm, get, I'm moving actually into danger zone, and I'm out of purpose-driven dynamics. And I think it's interesting that that's really similar to what happens in life with Jesus. Here's the thing is that when we don't have a proper focus of where we're going, we, like what I do on the road, begin to drift. And it's a subtle drift. It's a drift that if they didn't have the dividers that said, do-do, 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 you, you would end up in the other lane. If you didn't have someone in the next seat next to you saying, hey, hey, what are you doing? I'm going into danger land. Well, then your drift not only is putting you in danger, but before it puts you in danger, sometimes it puts the passenger next to you in more danger. You see, drifting in life is not just about it might hurt you. When we don't have a clear focus on Jesus, our purpose drifts and it goes into dangerous areas and this is what what's going on in the book of hebrews is hebrews was written to the early church during during a time of a lot of local persecution a lot of local persecution and as the persecution is going on they were enduring being disciples of jesus christ in the persecution but when persecution was kicking up the temptation and the tendency was to say well this is kind of difficult. Like, I know God said he's going to make all things new, and, and I know that's the purpose of the destination, but right now, it's getting pretty difficult. And no storefront uh, buildings and businesses, that are, it's kind of nicer just looking over there for a while to pass the time. And before you know it, the temptation was to say, well, Jesus, I'm not sure if you're really going to work this out, so let me look over here, and before you know it, the author knew, like, hey, be careful, because if you're not watchful, you're going to start to drift. 
They're going to start to drift and get off purpose. And, and so I think it's interesting that this book is written in a context also where the prevailing religious leaders, specifically for this text today, thought that teaching that Jesus is God would mess up the oneness of God in the eyes of the people they were trying to reach. Okay, Because you come from a Jewish background, there's only one God. So if you're saying that God took on flesh, duh, that don't happen. And then you've got the complexities of the reality of God who is triune. And they're saying, no, 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 that might be a, like, they might not grasp that as much. So let me just kind of dumb down and diminish who Jesus really is so that it becomes more palatable for people. See, culturally relevant, this is a sidebar, but culturally relevant ministry is learning how to properly love people with the proper truth of the gospel in a way that makes sense. It's not compromising the message. You see, so, so what happens is that if you're drifting away from a proper focus of Jesus, then what happens is that you, you start to come over here and say, well, let me just kind of decrease who Jesus really is because then they might actually start coming to church and walking with this Jesus. And sometimes, and that, and that always gets, every time the church has lost focus on Jesus or erected an image of Jesus that is not the Jesus of Nazareth, the church loses focus. This is why we have to dismantle the understanding and the implications of the picture of the white Jesus. Because an image of Jesus that is not the Jesus of historical Nazareth has been used, and this is, goes from different countries, different places have different nuances of this, but the minute that we project an unhealthy that is not good for who Jesus really is, we see the implications. Jesus then becomes a means to our agenda. And he's saying, no, 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 if you're going to pursue Christ's purpose, you have to begin to get a fresh of who is this Jesus? What is his purpose for us? And so they get in, they're saying, here's the thing, is that they were tempted to compromise because it, would, it wouldn't be that. Or here's another thing. So what they did when they compromised in those times, they put Jesus into this category of being chief among angels. Some cults say Jesus was Michael's brother. They put Jesus into this category of saying, well, we don't want to say he is God in flesh. So we'll make him in this category of the Elohim of the spiritual beings and say he's the, he's the boss of the angels. So we'll, so we'll, just, we'll just say that, right? And, and as he's doing that, they're putting them that. But, but here's the other thing. They also had a high view of angels as the ones who led the nations. In Deuteronomy 32, we talked about that. And who would speak with great credibility directly from heaven. So they're like, angels are great. They spoke directly from heaven and their message was legit. So we'll just put Jesus as chief of the angels. Okay? So they're compromising. They're, lose, they're tempted to lose focus on the king of kings and who he really is. And here's the thing. The existing worldview led them to have a distorted view of Jesus, which would mess up their ability to engage God's purpose with enduring grace. How do you endure persecution is the question he's asking them. And he begins to say, we got to start with the proper view of King Yeshua. Who is he? And this is what he says. Look at chapter 1. He's about to put all of that on blast in a loving way, this author of Hebrews. Here's what he says. Look at chapter 1. I think we, I think we may have it up there. Um, 
Uh, wait, go back. No, no, no. Actually, let me just read it. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. All right. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Did you catch that? God has made the universe through the son. The universe was created through Jesus. Okay, the son is the radiance of God's glory. The exact, someone say exact, expression of his nature. Did you catch that? The exact expression of his nature. Don't diminish him to be a chief of the angels because you're scared. He's so much more powerful than that. He holds the universe together. He can hold your life together. Okay? And he says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he didn't sit up as if it wasn't done. He made purifications for his sins and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because it was done. What he did was enough for sin. So he became superior to who? The angels. Okay? Just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. You see that? The name he inherited is greater than theirs because his inheritance as the heir of all things is the heir of all things. It's, his inheritance is a kingdom. His name is the name that is above every name. See how he's lacing this church. The first thing he does when they're beginning to drift is say, let's zoom in and I want to highlight who Jesus is. You got to know who Jesus is if you're going to begin to stay on purpose and not drift. And then he goes like this. Watch, watch what he says. He says in, in verses 5 through 14, he says, he declares, God declares Jesus to be the son. God calls all the angels to worship Jesus, not the angels. While the angels are called to serve God and minister to the saints, Jesus is called to redeem and reign. With the Father placing all things under his feet. Now he's going somewhere with this. You've got to keep your mind right there. He's going something somewhere with this. And he says, here's the thing, in, in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, because this is true of who Jesus is, he says, for this reason, chapter 2, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will what? Not drift away. He has spoken through his son. He has made it clear who his son is. If you don't hear the son clearly of who he is, you will be prone to drift. And that's where purpose gets off and the church doesn't reflect God's image to the world. All right? So here's what he says. This brings us to the text for today. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, he's going to pick up this essence of saying, asking this, the, the three points of this. He says, in order for us to see enduring purpose, we first need to understand what purpose God gave us. If we're going to be about pursuing Christ's purpose and learning about that, we need to understand what purpose did God even give us. So look what he says. Watch what he says. Verse, verse, chapter 2, verse 5. He says, For he is not subjected to angels, the world to come, that we are talking about. Okay? So he says, we, like the world that is to come with God's reign happening is not going to be subjected to angels. 
He's trying to up Jesus, getting the superiority of Jesus above anything else that they were tempted to put Jesus in the category with. Did you see that? Put a pin in that. They're tempted to put Jesus in the category with the angels. He's saying, hold up. Creation is not going to be subject to the angels. But something else is going on. Look what he says. Watch what he says. He says, verse 6, but someone somewhere has testified. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. See, here's the interesting thing about this. He is, he, even though angels were seen and understood to be over nations, it was not angels under whose feet this would be subjected. Okay, rather he's declaring something else. He's bringing in Psalm 8 because he's like, you guys have lost purpose of what this purpose is even about. In fact, you're looking to the ones to try to redeem purpose that never could. So let me highlight Jesus again to begin to show you how purpose can be realized and understood. So watch, watch what he says. In order to do that, he first starts with quoting Psalm 8. What we just read is a quote from Psalm 8. It's interesting because when you look at this, look at what Psalm 8, the original context of Psalm 8 is like this. When he says, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? In other words, he's saying, you've created everything, God. You've created all the, the moon, the sun, the stars, the wind. Like You've created the earth. You've created humanity. What is it in the midst of you creating billions of galaxies? Who is man that you are mindful of us? He's in awe of the fact that God has given such dignity to humanity. Who are we that you would create us? Out of all the, all the animals of the field, out of all this, who is man that you would create us in your image? Who are we? we we're limited by gravity, right? Who are we that God would endow such intricate, let me come down in the midst of creating the galaxies, and Genesis says, and, and he takes the dirt. He didn't do this to the animals or the rest of it. He just said, let there be light. Let there be animals. Let there be, and he just, it just happened. Humanity comes down, and he picks up dirt, and he says, who are we that you would create us fearfully and wonderfully made? Think about that. That's in awe. Who are we? But then he says, you made him lower than the angels. Psalm 8 doesn't say for a short time. We'll see why. It's a very, very cool thing that, that, that happens here. What happens here is that you made him lower than the angels. Here's the thing. In the Hebrew text of, of Psalm 8, that's not translated as angels. That's translated as Elohim. That's why some translations you're going to see, who are you? You created me lower than God. Just, just beneath God. Or someone would be, would be more of the Elohim, the, the disembodied spiritual beings that are in the unseen realm that were leading and doing God's bidding. You created us just underneath them. See, the thing here is marveling at the majestic reality of how God created humanity. 
So he picks us up. He says, who are, who are we? And he, he's reading this. And then he says, watch this. You crowned him with glory and honor. You created us with such the image of God. There's dignity in humanity. Right? That's why it doesn't matter whether someone knew Jesus or doesn't. Whether someone, wherever they are in their life, there is still dignity to all humanity by virtue of being created in the image of God. Total depravity is a reality. Sin is a reality. But as believers, we are to give dignity to all humanity because of by virtue of being created in the image of God. And then here's what else happened. He says, but not only did you create with such, 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 such dignity, but watch this, and you subjected everything under his feet. In other words, you gave man the ability to rule and reign. You gave humanity the responsibility to see everything in planet Earth come under God's intended purpose. Let me show you this. He, uh, go to Genesis 1.26. This is where kind of some of this, they reflect the, the psalmist and the, the author of Hebrews is reflecting upon something like what is God's visionary purpose? Because he's trying to take them back to say, if you need to endure in purpose of kingdom purpose, I need to remind you what is purpose and what happened. So here's what he says. Go to Genesis 1.26-28. This is an interesting observation. In chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humanity in our image according to our likeness. They will, what? Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth. Okay, at this point, has God actually created them yet? No, what's going on? What's that? It's his plan. It's exactly God has a visionary purpose for humanity. You see that? He has a specific visionary purpose. Before he creates, he has a visionary purpose. So here's the thing. He says, this is what we're going to do. And then he does it. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, do you see that language? Be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, it's also this concept of have dominion over creation. Rule creation. Right? In other words, he says, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every, every uh, creature that crawls on the ground. Here's the thing what he's saying. God's visionary purpose is to create mankind to be image bearers that were designed to image the one who created them. Do you get that? They, we were created with the intended purpose to image and put God's image on display. We were created as humans to reflect who God is, not just in who we are as image bearers, but what we do to reflect his intended purpose for creation. Did you catch that? So his purpose is done, it's, it's this, this um, the purpose is done through bringing out the maximum potential in creation through reflecting the character of the one who created you. In other words, here's the thing. Creation has all the raw materials. God says, I'm going to create everything out of nothing. So as, as, as everything out of nothing is chilling there, all this raw materials on there, our job is to say, how do I assemble this in such a way where it reflects God's character? Did you catch that? That's humanity's purpose. Man is not created for anything else as if there's anything better than that. To actually rule and take care of God's creation, 
in a way that brings out the maximum potential for well-being. To reflect what he desires. To create airplanes that can bless his purpose. Does that make sense? To create cars that can be a blessing. Housing, jobs. Like We are intended to do what we do in a way that images God's intended purpose that reflects his character. That's our purpose. There's no other purpose that God's... In fact, here's the thing. He says, mankind was to rule from a stewardship perspective, meaning I'm to take care of what God has given creation and created in a way that is as if he owns it. I do what he wants with it, not what I want with it. Because remember, when you do what you want with it, it may seem good for a while, but you're swerving into oncoming traffic and it's going to destroy you and people. Always. It doesn't matter. Like every single time. That's why he's talking about, I got to teach the church to have some enduring purpose. And the first step is, if you're going to have a relationship with God that is at peace, like you were intended. If you're going to have a relationship with one another that that is loving one another, being patient with one another, bearing with one another in love, using speech that is seasoned with salt, not talking nasty towards neighbors, towards coworkers, towards one another, dealing with the heart issues when they come up within us. He's saying, I've called humanity to reflect relationships in a way that show what I desire for relationships. Relationships are to really, what does Jesus say? They will know you are Christians by what? Your love for one another. Why? Because the way that we reflect love towards one another gives a glimpse of how God relates to us. Did you catch that? That's exactly why Paul goes in Ephesians 5 with marriage. Hey, I'm talking about Christ in the church. Because everything relationally, work-wise, God has an intended purpose for it to reflect his character. And he's saying, church, this is what you're called to your relationship with beast and work. How do we deal with and interact with the environment? Right? What does that look like? What, what does my work look like? How do I work? Our relationships with ourselves. Right? Do we have a proper relationship of understanding who we are as God's children right? in Christ Jesus? So he says, in other words, look, he says, he's telling them, saying, if you're going to have enduring purpose, you've got to know that God has the patent on you, the patent on creation, and, 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 and his purpose for creation. Did you catch that? No bootleg can substitute for the one who gave the patent. He has a patent on every area of your life. And that's what he's trying to remind this church. He's got a patent on every area of life. In fact, he's so beastly with it. Not only did he subscribe for the patent, he's the one who actually created the patent industry because he holds it all together. You see how beast mode Jesus is? And so, so it's kind of like, it's, here's the thing. In other words, God does that. All we do is we take the pieces and follow his instruction. It's kind of like this. Here's, if I make this plain, when you hire a graphic designer for what you're doing, a vision, you're doing something you're trying to put out, um, whatever it is, the, the, the graphic designer will only succeed in his purpose to the degree that he takes time learning the vision and the character and the content of the person he is seeking to design. 
Does that make sense? So if he doesn't get to know who you are and what you're seeking to put on display, if he doesn't begin to understand, he's not going to be able to maximize the potential to put on display who you are and where you're going. Make sense? So if he puts up a product and, it doesn't, and he doesn't study you, he or she doesn't know who you are. They don't know where your vision is. They have failed, and that's not living out the purpose for which they were designed. And it's so similar. And I think when, we, when he's trying to look at it, it's like, look at this. We were created to put the character of God on display. The question is, is do we spend enough time with the God of heaven and earth to hear what his design is? Do we know his visionary purpose for every area of our life? Do you know his design for relationships? Do you know his design for your job? Do you know his design for economics? Do you know his design for working with the city and politics? Do you know his design for neighboring? Do you know his design for parenting? Do you know his design for singleness? Do you know his design for every category you can think of? Do you know God's design for every area that he has placed in your before you in your, in your area. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, but if we're, if we're not spending that time learning from him, walking in discipleship, man, here's the thing. I have to hold myself back from preaching an hour and 15 minutes. Do you know why? Because we get 24-7 of stuff thrown at us that is not of God. And before we know it, we don't even know how much we're drifting. Like we compromise that being a part of the mechanisms that God says, I need you in the spiritual gym. Don't expect to know my purpose if you're not functioning in discipleship the way I designed it. That's a hard word, but we're not going to grow unless we are spending time hearing the word of God, confessing sin in small groups and life communities, kicking in cookouts and laughing and hearing about how, what does it look like to have fun? Right? Christians are called to be some of the most fun people because we got the spirit of God in us and we can have optics for what God designed anything anyways. Does that make sense? Like, I'm just, like, like God has, I, oh, I'm going to stop there. I could talk for a while. I'm not going to go into that. So does that make sense? So he says, first off, you got to understand the fact that what is, what God, what was the purpose that God gave us? And that's what he did to reflect his character, his design for everything. Here's the thing. We also need to understand how was purpose distorted. Look at uh, uh, verse 8, the second part of verse 8. Uh, it says, he continues on, how purpose was distorted. He says, as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. Okay, as it is, we don't see it all. Man was, man was supposed to, mankind was supposed to live that out. To place everything under the footstool of themselves. Man was supposed to cultivate this, but man, here's the thing, as it is, we don't see it yet. Why? As it is, he says, we, we don't see everything subjected to him. While this was the visionary picture for mankind, we don't see it fulfilled yet. See, here's the thing. In the garden, right after mankind is given the mission of walking in God's purpose, they begin to believe God's purpose wasn't enough. And that he wasn't going to provide everything needed to walk in his purpose. So what happens? Eve was deceived and Adam sinned in rebellion and purpose was distorted from that point on. 
When man sought to define purpose outside of God's design, sin and death entered the world, and we struggle with that to this day. We struggle with purpose. What is it? When the visionary picture was to bring everything under the good reign of God and bring out the maximum picture of who he is in earth and in heaven, death reigned. Pregnancy would be deeply painful. Work wouldn't happen the way God intended. Thorns and thistles would mix in with work. The work we put in wouldn't produce the fruit we always hoped. Beasts would rebel and kill humans. Relationships would be full of blaming, shame, and guilt. Competition in relationships and marriage would be motivated by mistrust, taking control, no surrender nor submission to God-ordained order. Children would rebel. The man or woman wouldn't turn out the way you hoped in relationships. Friendships would let you down. Betrayal would become a reality. Life would feel unproductive at many times. Hope would be deferred. Pain would be a reality. See, as we see it, purpose is not seen the way God created it to be. This is our struggle. What is purpose? Sin and death had so distorted creation, and our purpose could not be seen in the way mankind was created to rule. Here's the thing. Not only was man impotent to restore God's notion of purpose, but watch this. He's saying man couldn't do it. It wasn't subject to man. Mankind, man and woman, were so distorted purpose in trying to think God's purpose wasn't enough that they sought their own. And as a result, here's what you have. They, it's not happening. Man couldn't do it. Not only could man not do it, but look at angels couldn't even redeem the situation. Angels could speak clearly. Here's the thing. They spoke clear messages from heaven, but they couldn't restore the purpose to broken humanity. It doesn't matter how clear and from God their message was. It doesn't matter how inspirational their message is. An inspirational message from an angel could not deal with the brokenness that distorted purpose. Does that make sense? So, and, and here's the thing, here's the thing. See, their message was true. And it was from God. But it couldn't change the stony hearts to be hearts of flesh to live on God's purpose again. So here's something practical. There are a lot of self-help talk today. There's a lot of inspirational motivation. I think it's great when it had this place. There's a lot of ideologies out there attempting to try to restore your purpose. If you just do this, you'll have purpose. If you can just walk in this, you'll have purpose. Then you'll have your best life now. Then you'll have purpose. And here's the thing. The problem is they, can, is they can sound clear and sometimes even sound like they may be from God. They may be from God, but they cannot dig into the depth of our brokenness and restore the purpose for which God created you. They can't do it. And so you've got to be really, be very careful, church. As a family of faith, when we're tempted to begin to think that I can go into some other area to just give me purpose. He's beginning to say, none of that stuff could restore us back to living out God's purpose. And, it, it, and, and what happens is that we, we, we end up getting tired. It's like it, it, in the flash, right? You have, um, I don't know how to give an illustration on flash, but here's the thing. Flat in, in, in the movies is dope. Like, like, so the Flash, 
and his wife, their daughter from the future comes back. And she comes back as an older, as like, she's old, she's 20-something, I think it is, right? So she's older, and she came back, as we'll find, to try to destroy this one particular villain who Flash in the future couldn't defeat. So he, she's back doing that. There's one time where the Flash has to go to take care of this, this concoction to try to destroy this, this villain, right? So as Flash is gone for one hour, she's put in charge. As she's put in charge, she's scared. But of course, during that one hour, this villain comes. And she rushes because there's a false call. And the first time she sees it, her mom is killed. So she runs back in time to restart it. And so she goes and convinces her mom to stay in this area. So she does. Her mom is safe. But then they get an alert call again. And it's someone else from the team that the villain had grabbed. Long story short, so she runs back, rearranges it. She did this 52 times of trying to change the equation so no one on the team would die. But she could not change. It doesn't matter how much she rearranged. It doesn't matter what, what equation she sought after. It didn't matter how many times. Here's the reality. She couldn't change it. Her ability to restore the timeline to what she wanted it to be wasn't working. And I think this is what he's getting at, is you can run to so many different areas to try to find purpose in life. You could try to run to any, a job, a relationship, a, a strategy, right? This is right, New Year's resolutions. If they're not rooted in the hope of the gospel, as we discussed, they're good, they're, someone may let you down because God is saying, I want you to be rooted in the gospel. So he says, if you're looking to all these other things, you're going to be running and running and running and running. And as you do it, you begin to get tired and realize that I just can't, that stuff can't give me purpose. And I think we're tempted, like the early church, to think that other things can give us a sense of purpose. If I could just do this one thing, and what we end up doing is we end up searching for purpose outside of what God is actually, how he's restoring it. Does that make sense? We're, we're looking outside to try to find purpose and meaning and significance. And God is saying, sometimes I need to dry that stuff up and not let it work so that you can come back to the reality of what he's saying in this text. <laughs> Those things can't restore it. They can't. That's what I'm saying. Like, when there are things that like, we're going to set off to do some things, and God may dry some stuff up because he wants your heart to look more like Jesus and your life, not just for you to feel like you have purpose. He needs to do some restoration in it. And so he says, so here's the last thing. He says, when you begin to realize that purpose is, um, cannot be restored by anything else, he says, the, fast, the final thing is, in order for us to see enduring purpose, we must understand the third point is that Christ alone restores enduring purpose. Watch what he says in verse 9. This thing is beast mode right here. He says, while nothing else can bring purpose back the way God intended for you to reflect his character. Nothing else can do that. You've tried everything. In the midst of that moment, look at the text. He says, but we do see Jesus. Did you catch that? No, when you come to the end of your rope and you've tried everything like, like Flash's daughter did and it was not working, he says, but here's the good thing in a broken, fallen world. We do see Jesus. 
Why is this significant? Look what he says. But we do see Jesus. This is significant because Jesus is the only one who could fulfill this passage to restore humanity, to live out the purpose for which God called us. He doesn't just quote this psalm to lay out the deficiency of man, to live out God's purpose, but he uses it to show the significance and magnitude of Jesus the Christ. So he says it's not just fulfilled in man not doing it and deficiency, but he's saying I'm, I'm quoting this psalm because we've seen Jesus. Jesus steps in and look what he does. Look what the text says. We do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for what? A short time. We say, look, look, we, we can't see it restored by anything else, but we do see Jesus. Why is it significant they saw Jesus? Because Jesus takes the passage that is intended to show man's ability to rule by reflecting God's character. When man couldn't do it, Jesus is doing it. Do you see that? Man didn't, man, 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 and he flips it. He's saying he was made lower than the angels for a short time. This is not the same nuance of Psalm 8. He's using it to show the humiliation and the incarnation of Christ taking on flesh. The pre-existent Son of God takes on an additional nature and, and lives in us, right? He, he lives among us in a way that we could never do. And guess what? He lived a life according to this passage that we could not live. Here you have hope coming into the scene. Maybe this purpose of Psalm 8, the visionary purpose that God gave humanity, he says, look, church, the only way that that's restored is when Jesus fulfills it. Because the way he fulfills it is not only taking on flesh and becoming made lower than the angels for a short time, but it's so that, what? He might taste death for everyone. It's so that he might taste death for everyone. You see, Jesus doesn't just, he, he, he comes and he takes care of the stony heart that nothing else could. You see, our hindrance to living out and reflecting God's character is a stony heart that is wrought in sin, that's wrought in brokenness. That's why any other ideology you have, it may help us for a time. It may inspire you to get up and work harder. But if it's not addressing the stony heart, you will not live out God's purpose. God had to take on flesh in Christ Jesus and to die so that the death that we deserve because of our sin would be poured upon the Son. And as the death is, is as he takes death and is, and is poured upon the Son, he says now, not only did the Son stay dead, but what does it say after this? He was crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. He went through the process of living out this passage in a way that didn't just say, okay, now I'm good. I, I, now I can rule. He says, no, but here's the thing he adds. He dies. So that those who place their confidence in him get a new heart and now have the capacity, once again, to live out what God intended us to live out. Do you see that? There is no pursuit of Christ's purpose without Christ changing us. There's no pursuit of Christ's purpose without him fulfilling that song. Nothing else can get us as a church re ready other than being rooted in the gospel. 
if we're not swimming in the grace of Christ, if we're not swimming in his transformational work of what he's done, we will not pursue Christ's purpose. We will drift. This is why we need to make much of Jesus. We need to make much of what he did on the cross, what he does in, in, his, in, his, uh, in his resurrection. Because here's the thing. He doesn't just restore purpose, but by, by, by fulfilling this passage, he gives us the grace in his rule and reign to learn what it means in discipleship. This is why discipleship is key. God did not just save you. If you're in Christ, he didn't just save you to live your best life now. That's heresy. He saved you to live out his intended purpose. And that is to reflect every area of his intention for creation that you are called to take care of. What does he intend for things in your life? That's the question I want us to ask this year. What is God's intended purpose? When you make a list of everything that you have in your life, what is God's intended purpose for those things? Right? And then we go down and we need to begin to ask those questions. Here's the thing that's, that's very interesting about, about this. Not only does it restore purpose through his death and resurrection, but as we are asking those questions, we live in a already, Jesus came, died, resurrected, we're forgiven in Christ, we're his church, but we struggle with the, but it's not fully consummated yet. Does that make sense? This is perspective for discipleship. We live in the already, which is kind of like, let me give you an example. I'm going to be real with this. So when Fatsum and I got engaged, I knew I was going to marry this woman. Okay, because we did pre-engagement counseling, got everything worked out and stuff, so that when we got engaged, we're like, boom, let's roll. Right? Here's the thing. When we got engaged, I knew at that point, and everybody has different convictions uh, within the parameters of the biblical framework, but I just knew. I said, babe, I got to stop kissing you. <laughs> Y'all are quiet. I got to stop kissing you because I know I'm about to marry you. Can I be real? And I know I want you. I'm attracted to you. Okay? Engagement happens, and I realize in saying, I know we're getting married. Here we go. I'm anticipating it. But here's the thing. There are some things that I will not experience in the fullness until wedding day happens okay i know we're we're gonna get married we're committed to each other we've gone through pre-engagement counseling god seems to have stamped his approval on it this is good stuff i know it's coming i'm anticipating it but until it's consummating in marriage wedding i can't fully experience the fullness of it this is, what it, this is what the now and not yet kingdom, when Jesus grabs you, he's like, you're my son, you're my daughter, right? You're mine. Here's the thing. You won't fully experience everything placed under Jesus' reign until he comes again. Isn't that hard sometimes? You get distracted. Things don't work out the way you want. There's still injustice. Like we saw with Kobe Bryant, like death just happens. Stuff is crazy on this side of eternity. And so we know, and the church is saying, like, I know that Jesus came to die. He's coming again in the res because of the resurrection. He's coming again to set everything right. But how do I live on purpose in this now and not yet time? 
How do we stay focused and learn to work out God's purpose when work doesn't produce the fruit that you want all the time? When relationships don't work and they're frustrating? When work doesn't work, like, what, how, what do you do in this thing? How do you pursue Christ's purpose when we are understanding stuff doesn't happen the way we want it to all, all the time? And I think here's the thing about this. Father says, while we haven't seen everything subjected to him, it goes back and says, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus, and he went to death for us. So here's the cool thing about this. When we talk about purpose, Jesus didn't just restore us into a relationship to have the capacity to live out his purpose. But he paved the way to create us to live out his purpose along the journey of life. So in other words, he doesn't just restore purpose, let me put it this way, he uses even the things that aren't yet submitted to his reign to work out his purpose for your life. That's good news. Did y'all hear that? So even though he doesn't, he, he, he restores purpose, the capacity, but he'll use everything that is not submitted to his reign practically in your life now to actually work out his purpose in your life. Isn't that crazy? See, his purpose is not just for you to find purpose in something else. His purpose is for you to have res restoration of purpose in his son. That means that he is going to ultimately make you more like his son. If he can make you more like his son, you will begin to image him in everything that you do. He will even use what he did going to suffering. He will use all of that stuff to make you more like his son. And that restores purpose. You see, purpose is found in Christ and trusting that, God, it doesn't look like it, but I've seen Jesus. I know you're going to work this out. I don't know how. I know you're going to use this to make me more like Jesus. I don't know how. God, I don't like it, but you're going to use this for your purpose in my life to become more like Jesus so I can know how to walk as a disciple to steward things like Jesus has me steward them. Does that make sense? That's what purpose. So we ask like, in other words, here's the thing. Don't be surprised when the path toward walking out Christ's purpose is paved with different types of suffering. See, that's good preaching right there. Y'all hear that? That is truth right there. I need you, we need to get this in, I need to get this in my soul. Don't be surprised when the path toward walking out Christ's purpose is paved with different types of suffering. That's discipleship. Welcome to walking with Jesus. Does that make sense? That, because the world needs to see him, not us. The world needs to see his purpose, not our purpose. And so that's what he's calling us to. And so how do you endure in purpose? You keep looking to Jesus. How do you endure when you're tempted to get distracted because it didn't work out the way you were hoping it would? How, how do you work through that? You look to Jesus, the one who grieves with the broken. You look to Jesus, the one who forgives when it seemed like no one else would. You look to Jesus who gives beauty for ashes. You look to Jesus who's coming to rule and reign again, and he's going to work out your, his purpose for you. Like David says this. I'm going to close with this. David says in one, Psalm 138.8, I've been struck by some of David's story recently. Um, is David was a mess, but he was a man after God's own heart. And David was a mess, and he lived in, can you imagine, you, you slip up with Bathsheba. The child is killed. 
God takes a child, consequences. Not only does he take a child, he said, look, the sword ain't going to depart from your house. And then God gives him a son and says, your, beloved, your son, his name, Solomon, is beloved of the Lord. I'm still loving you, David. I'm still fulfilling my purpose. You're a mess. David, David, see the reason, David ran out of the kingdom from Absalom because David, that was all part of David's consequences. Does that make sense? David was living under consequences while he was experiencing the tender mercy and love of God. David sits in Psalm 138, and he reflects, and here's what he says. In the midst of all of that, the brokenness, the sin, God's mercy seeping in, this world is all over the place. Here's what he says. God, Psalm 138, he goes into Thanksgiving. He says, Lord, all I know is you're fulfilling your purpose for me. You're fulfilling your purpose. See, in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you not only from the love of God, but God in Christ Jesus will use everything across this now and not yet kingdom that breaks, that's broken, that's hurts. He will use that to fulfill his purpose for you. That's our redeeming God. If David could believe that while he was still experiencing the consequences of God, how much more when Jesus takes the curse on the cross, when Jesus utterly embraces us, gives us beauty for ashes, and says, I'm going to use everything to fulfill my purpose for you. That's good news. So in pursuing Christ's purpose, God is after Jesus fulfilling it, Jesus working in us, so we might become more like Jesus because that's what he needs to go after. So the question for us, as we learn, we're going to walk through the next two weeks about what does it mean to pursue Christ's purpose in this year, is ask yourself this, coming from this week. What does God have on your plate? What's before you? And I want you to begin to ask those questions in life communities. I want us to flesh that out as we're on Sundays. I want you to flesh that out at cookouts, at, at prayer times, organic gatherings, men's and women's. What does it look like if that area is submitted to Jesus? What does it look like? Because then your purpose is not just to find it somewhere else. The purpose is right there in Christ before your eyes. Your purpose is to live out what he intended for every area of your life. That's your purpose. And then he will grant other things. But your purpose can't be found in them. It has to be found in the one who will open those doors to do what he wants to do so you reflect his character.